The passage this morning begins by informing us that Jacob is ill. Seventeen years have passed since Jacob and Joseph were reunited in Egypt, and now he's getting ready to die. And Joseph has come to be at his father's bedside, and he's brought his two sons with him to be blessed by their grandfather before Jacob dies. Now we know from chapter 41 of Genesis that while Joseph's been in Egypt, he's married an Egyptian woman named Azanoth, the daughter of an Egyptian priest. And in the year before the famine struck, she gave birth to two sons, the firstborn being Manasseh and the younger named Ephraim. As Joseph brings his boys to their grandfather, Jacob begins by recalling a powerful encounter he had with God when he was younger. He tells Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. God's great promise to Abraham and Isaac of people and of land was again made to Jacob. This was also the place where God appeared to Jacob when he was fleeing from Esau. And it was here where he witnessed angels ascending and descending from heaven. As Jacob is preparing to die, he's passing down to the next generation the promises that God made to him and the stories of how God moved throughout his life. If you stop for a second and think about how much we impact the next generation when we share with them our own experiences and our own beliefs. And it happens in both insignificant and insignificant ways. For example, though I never listened to country music growing up, Courtney did. And already Merwin enjoys singing along to songs that Courtney plays in the car when they're driving around. Similarly, with the exception of Batman, I'm a huge Marvel superheroes fan. And already Malachi and Asher show an interest in Spider-Man and Black Panther and the Incredible Hulk. As Courtney and I pass on our stories and our experiences and our interests, our children carry them on into the next generation. And since that's the case, then how much more significant is how we tell the next generation what we've learned about God through his word and through our experiences with him? It's so important. As someone who's struggling right now to raise two boys, I've witnessed the way Juan and Jeanette and Yakubu and Esther have been so intentional about spending daily time with their children to teach them about God and his word. And as someone that spends a lot of time with their kids in youth group, I can tell you it's powerful and it's encouraging to see how God has used the time that Justin and Owen and Isaiah and Josiah and Sariah and Jed have spent with their parents to shape and form their hearts. As we see Jacob repeating God's promises to his family, we're reminded of the importance of us doing the same thing with our own children. If you're a parent, when we're with our children, we need to be constantly teaching them about Jesus and sharing with them his faithfulness to us throughout our lives. We need to share the truths found in the Bible, as well as how God has made those things real to us in our daily lives. How has God met with us? How has God shown his faithfulness to us? We need to tell our children about our experiences with God. We have to take the promises of God from his word and not only teach them to our kids, but give them examples of God's promises made real in our lives. 
you might be thinking, well, what does that look like? Well, take the promise that God is going to give us our daily bread, that God provides for our needs. When Courtney and I moved to Abington, we were coming from New York City, and I was about to start seminary. We were expecting Merwin, and we bought a house, and we were about to have a child, and we would need a car. And how could we afford a car when we were just buying a house? And when would we even have time to shop in a place like New York City? And then I got a call from Rob saying that an old Grace Point member had moved and left his Volvo to be given to someone in need. And just like that, God provided us with a car that would get me around for the next three years. Every time I got in that car, I was reminded of God's provision for our family. when We were leaving what was familiar for something new. What are some of your stories that you can tell others about God's faithfulness in your life? Maybe you aren't a parent or even met better, maybe you're a child yourself. I encourage you to be sharing your stories of how God has met you throughout your life with others, whether they're younger siblings or friends or coworkers or family members. God has carried you through up to this point and not just for your own benefit, but so through your stories, you can also encourage others and point others to him. So if our passage begins with Jacob reminding his son and grandchildren of God's promises, it continues with this shocking blessing. As Jacob is recounting God's promise to him, he formally adopts Joseph's sons. Now remember, these boys were born to an Egyptian woman in a foreign land. And yet Jacob here makes a powerful claim over these young men when he states in verse 5, And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. In addition, Jacob not only adopts Joseph's sons as his own, but explicitly places them on par with his oldest sons. When he says in the next verse that Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. This is an incredible thing for Jacob to bring two boys who were born to an Egyptian mother and claim them as his own children. And we see here a pattern that continues throughout the book of Genesis and in all of God's dealings with people throughout history. We see two citizens of Egypt being grafted into God's family and we're reminded that geography doesn't limit God. No obstacle can prevent God from showering us with his blessings. God isn't bound by where we're from or human traditions or even with things we've done in our past or what we're currently doing right now. No, instead, God continually acts in a manner that proclaims that he determines the future of his people and that salvation is found only in him. As Christians, we celebrate this amazing blessing that in Christ, we've been adopted by God, that we're now sons and daughters of God, that we can go to God and call him dad. Well, here at the beginning of history, we see that adoption was a part of God's plan from the very beginning. Pastor Tom and I held baptism and membership classes during the quarantine. And as we heard the testimonies of our people, God used it in powerful ways to encourage and remind us that nothing can prevent God from calling people to himself. Listen to this small part of Faye Kang's testimony of coming to faith. She wrote, Before my family and I immigrated to America, we were all Buddhists. Going to church was one of those things we did to stay connected with the Korean community in America. For many years, I only went to church because that's what my friends did, or I only went to church to hang out with my friends. 
When I was in high school, I was going through a lot of family issues. I felt like I was not good enough for anything and anyone until during one church retreat, God spoke to me and told me that I was enough. Faye goes on to share that impact that the retreat and then later Pastor Rob and Pastor Tom had on her journey of faith. Though she was raised Buddhist, that was not an obstacle for God. And today she's a Christian. Some of us have family members or friends that are still not believers in Christ. And after years of praying for them, it's tempting for us to lose hope. It's tempting for us to give up and say nothing is ever going to change. But this morning, God is reminding us in his word that nothing can stop his blessing. So let's continue to pray and ask God to do what he does best, which is take people from every walk of life and bring them home to himself. Having brought these two boys into the family of Israel, Jacob then proceeds to bless them even further. And out of all the moments that one could choose to point to in the life of Jacob, it's this moment that's referred to as Jacob's great moment of faith in that famous chapter of Hebrews known as the Hall of Faith chapter. Hebrews 11.21 says, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Jacob, the man who wrestled with God and lived, who saw angels ascending to heaven and descending to earth. This is the event that the author of Hebrews focuses on. And so we have to ask ourselves why, with all the amazing things Jacob saw, why this moment? Well, the answer becomes clear when we look closely at Jacob's blessing. He makes a threefold calling upon God as he opens up this blessing. And he begins, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked the God who's been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who's redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. Here we see how Jacob's heart over the course of his life has been utterly transformed by his relationship with God. In Jacob's blessing, we see his trust in God's promises and in God's provision and in God's protection over his life. First, Jacob speaks of God's faithfulness to his grandfather Abraham, and to his father Isaac. And this is powerful because God has kept his promises to Jacob despite a past marked by repeated deceptions and lies. God is stuck by him just as he stuck by his grandfather and his father's lies before him. Despite Jacob's lack of faithfulness, God has remained by his side from the beginning to the end. And over time, Jacob has been changed by God's faithfulness to him. Maybe this morning you find yourself lacking trust in God's promises. You're fearful about your work. You're fearful about your relationships. You're fearful about your health. And your response to that fear has been to try to make your life better apart from God. You've stopped trusting in him. You've stopped praying. You don't read his word anymore. And maybe you try to cope by drinking or smoking or eating, or maybe you cope by playing video games or watching hours of Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu, or maybe you buy things hoping that they're gonna make you feel happier. We're all just like Jacob. We distrust God all the time. I mean, look back, why did Jacob steal the blessing from Esau in the first place, right? Because he didn't trust the promise that God had made to his mother that he was gonna get it anyway. 
He had to get it for himself. We often fail to run to God for help. But Jacob's blessing here reminds us that God remains faithful to us even when we act as if we don't trust him. Because of Christ, God remains faithful to us even when we lack faith in him. And because of Jacob, we're reminded that God's not done with us yet. Jacob's not the same man that he was when he was young. And God continues each day to transform us as well. Jacob then notes that God has walked with him throughout his life and has provided for all of his needs when he calls God his shepherd. Jacob knows that God isn't just focused on the larger plan of growing his people, but he also cares about the small details of his people's lives. Jacob, being a shepherd himself, uses the same word to describe God, one who's protected him, has led him, and has fed him all the days of his life. God is the shepherd that has kept him safe in his wanderings. Stop for a moment and think about all the small ways that God has provided for you throughout this season. We naturally, if you're like me, gravitate towards the difficulties. And some of the things we've experienced in this season have really been profound. They've been difficult. They've been hard. But we also have to ask ourselves, how has God shepherded us like he shepherded Jacob? If you've gained any weight this season, God has provided you with food. Many of us have been with family members that are often at home with us. Some of us began new jobs in this season. Each day, try to spend some time noting how God has shepherded you through the peaks and valleys from the morning to the night, providing you both in big and in small ways. Just as God is Jacob's good shepherd, he's ours as well. Lastly, Jacob describes the moment in his life when he wrestled with God and lived. And speaking of the angel that he has met with, he notes that God has been his rescuer and the one who's turned really dire circumstances which could have resulted in death into moments of redemption. One of our church families a couple of weeks ago was planning to go on a camping trip that was canceled at the last minute. And it turns out that the night that this family was planning on being at this campsite, there was a murder there. Two women from Broomall, one killed the other. If we stop and think about it, there have been countless times and ways that God has protected us, some of which we're probably not even aware of. And if you stop and think about it, all of us can think of at least one, if not several times, God's protected us from a bad outcome or even from suffering the full consequences of our own bad choices. God protected Jacob and he protects and watches over us as well. So in this blessing, Jacob's trust in God's faithfulness is in full bloom. And as he passes on this promise from God to his grandchildren, that's why the author of Hebrews chose this moment because it reveals Jacob's tremendous faith in God despite the wild life that Jacob had lived. After a life marked by lying and stealing and running away and playing favorites with his sons, Jacob has come to a place of deep trust in God and it's shaping his prayers. But his trust in God is further revealed in how he blesses the two boys. Jacob gives the first and therefore the greater blessing to Joseph's younger son Ephraim rather than on his older son, Manasseh. And this isn't the way it's supposed to go. It goes against the culture. It goes against what everybody knew was supposed to happen. And in a culture like that in the ancient Near East, the older child earned the greater blessing. But again, we see God acting in unexpected ways as his plan unfolds. 
This is a pattern which began with Cain and Abel, and it continues with Jacob and Esau, and it's present even with Judah's children, Perez and Zerah. Family customs would place the first and greater blessing on the older child, but God continues to act in ways that are out of sync with worldly traditions. God doesn't abide by how we do things, for his ways are not our ways. We don't gain access into the kingdom of God because of our birth order or because of our accomplishments. You can't be good enough to earn God's favor, and your worst sins can't keep him from loving and pursuing you. No, it's always God's choice according to what pleases him. Here, Jacob's specific blessing places the younger Ephraim over Manasseh as he proclaims, he also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than him, and his offspring become a multitude of nations. One commentator noted that over time, the mere mentioning of the tribe of Ephraim becomes synonymous with the entire kingdom of Israel. But Joseph doesn't initially like that Jacob is reversing the blessing. He questions it. And we're so often like Joseph too, aren't we? Despite countless times that God has carried us through the darkness and storms of our lives, how often are we displeased with God's way of blessing us? How often do we wish like Joseph to move the hands of God in heaven and say, not that way, dad, this way. Tim Keller in writing about prayer has said, and I'm just paraphrasing, that if we knew everything God knew, we would trust that the way he answers our prayers always provides us with the best outcome for our lives. But because we don't believe God, because we think so differently about what would be a blessing and what we need, we often question how God chooses to answer our prayers, not believing the truth that his answers to our prayers are the blessings that we need. And I've seen that time and time again in my own life. In this season, it's been fun to check in on people at Grace Point. And what I've seen is how our different circumstances have led us each to experience our struggles in this season in very different ways. So the pastor of the first church I worked at in New York, Graffiti, he and I share this love of reading and of film. And when we were working together, we'd always be talking about what books we were reading and what movies we had seen. And he was asking me at the start of this whole season what I had been watching during quarantine with all of my free time. And I laughed because between parenting the kids during the day and ministry in the evenings, I've never actually watched less in my entire life. But that conversation with him made me start to think about our church members. And so it ends up happening. As I think about all the things I wish I could be doing, I start thinking about people at our church. And early on, I thought about Jen and John Lee. Still very much newlyweds, new house, no kids, free time. Wow, if I was them, what could I be doing? What could I be reading? What could I be watching? So I texted John, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm trying to kind of capture some of the flavor of our early texts with each other. So I text him, how's it going? What are you doing? And John was like, dude, it's tough. So bored. And I just laughed to myself. I wanted his blessing of a home free of responsibilities, and he wanted mine to relieve his boredom. And the truth was we were both being blessed by God, but just in different ways. But we wanted each other's blessing. And in the process, we weren't able to enjoy the blessings God had meant for each of us. In the moment, freedom for John felt like boredom. 
And for me, the stress of my three kids meant no freedom at all. But really, I was being blessed with time with all three of my kids that I would never otherwise have had. And John was free to pursue his interests in a way he wouldn't normally be able to if he was busy with work and not stuck at home. Jacob's confidence and faith in God is further revealed by our passage's ending. Jacob gives Joseph a piece of land back home that he says he took from the Amorites. And this refers to the land that Jacob purchased in chapter 33 from the sons of Hamor for 100 pieces of silver and where he built an altar and called it El Elohe Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. It was at this altar that Jacob called upon God, whom he had encountered when he wrestled with him at Peniel. And what's clear from the giving of this gift to Jacob, um, from Jacob to Joseph, is Jacob's belief that Joseph's future is in the land that God had promised to his forefathers. Though at this point in his career, Joseph has risen to power and great influence, second only to Pharaoh himself, Jacob is placing his faith in the blessings of God and not in Joseph's success as a leader in a foreign land. And we also know this because in last week's passage, Jacob makes Joseph swear to bury him, not in Egypt, but in Canaan. Now it's hard to capture how insane a request this is, but it reveals Jacob's hope and trust in God's promises to him. You have to remember, Egypt was one of the largest and most prosperous empires at the time. And Jacob, through his son, has found favor with the leader of this empire. It would be like filming a movie on your iPhone and Spielberg or George Lucas seeing it and saying, come work with me, become a part of my team. And say, and you saying, eh, nah, I'm going to stick with my iPhone movies. Jacob in his old age has struck it rich. This poor, smelly shepherd from the boondocks has the ear of the most powerful ruler in the land. And he's saying, nah, I'm good. It's like Pharaoh offering him to be buried in what would be one of the wonders of the world. Something people even today would travel long distances to be able to see and marvel at, but instead choosing an unmarked grave, a hole in the ground that no one would ever be able to find. Do you see how incredible the hope that Jacob has is? In the face of it all, in the face of all one could want in his life, he has said, no, this is nothing compared to what God has for me and his people in the future, even though I can't see it now. But even that doesn't capture the radical nature of his hope. Think about Jacob, this liar, this swindler, this cheater, who's done so many shady things in his past, right, to get what he wants. He's just managed to find himself in the best of all circumstances. His son is second in command to Pharaoh. He's set. And he can be buried like royalty himself. And he's opting out. It's like being offered living in a house like this one, but choosing instead to live in a house like this because you believe someday, even though you don't know when that will be, you're gonna reside in a place that far exceeds any house that's ever been built. We don't think or live like Jacob. We touch a button on our phone and we can have almost anything sent to our house. We don't wanna pass on any opportunity that comes our way if it looks good. We don't feel the need to wait for anything. And as soon as we do have to wait for anything or we don't get what we want, we start to wonder if God is good at all. So why, 
Why would Jacob do that? Unless he was so overwhelmed. Unless he was so transformed. Unless he was so blown away by God who had relentlessly pursued him his entire life. Imagine with me some of the things Jacob might have thought about during the course of his life. What kind of God could love me after I lied to my older brother and deceived my own father on his deathbed? What kind of God could bless me with land and children despite my shady past? What kind of God could bring back the son I thought was lost to me forever despite the favoritism that's hurt all of my other sons? And it's in seeing the way God has shown him such mercy, such grace, such tenderness and love, and promised him even more than he can say. Though I'm in front of one of the most powerful men on earth, I'd rather trust the God that's been so faithful to me and has promised me blessings too great to keep count of than to trust in Pharaoh. What would it be like if we trusted in God's promises like Jacob? If we truly believed everything God promises us is true, we would never worry about missing out on anything anymore. We wouldn't struggle with jealousy or envy over what other people have. I mean, we have a relationship with God, the creator of the universe, we're his children. We could be crazy generous with our time and our money and our skills because we know they're gifts from God and what awaits us exceeds our needs and our desires. We wouldn't be anxious about tomorrow because we would rest in knowing that what's next with God is going to be amazing. So how can we know, like Jacob, that these promises are ours? How can you and I, this morning, be sure? Despite our selfishness, despite our lies, despite our unfaithfulness, how can we experience the blessing so great that we would easily walk away from getting to experience every item on our bucket list? Jacob held on to a promise that he never saw fully realized. But we live in a time when the one who made that promise a reality has already accomplished all that's necessary to receive all the blessings of God. And he did it by experiencing the curse of God for our sake. For as Jacob recites this threefold blessing of God over Ephraim and Manasseh, we see glimpses of the shepherd redeemer who is fully revealed in Jesus, the Son of God. Jacob saw angels ascending and descending from heaven. He was in the presence of the ones who stand before the throne of God. He had this vision of a connection between heaven and earth, a hope of somehow being able to come into the very presence of God himself. But we're on the other side of history, and we know that Jesus has permanently bridged that gap for us. Thousands of years after this morning's events, another Joseph would be called out of Egypt from the tribe of Judah, the adoptive father of a young boy. His son, the true king of Israel, would come to his people to secure the promise that God made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And like Jacob's blessing over Ephraim and Manasseh, Jesus would make a way for us to be his people. They wouldn't be people from Abraham's bloodline, 
but would be people like Abraham who trusted in God's faithfulness. Jesus with his blood made a way, not just for Israel, but for you and I. Jesus was so committed to the promises of God that he was willing to die a horrible death so that we could receive those promises and never lose them. In the past three months, we've been confronted with many painful realities that every aspect of our lives can be disrupted at the blink of an eye. A storm can leave us without electricity for days. A virus can take our life in a week's time. Science isn't always able to understand or explain new things. Our jobs and our savings can be taken away from us. Our relationships can become unstable. It reminded me of that poem by Shelley called Ozymandias. At the end of the poem, Shelley writes, My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Those lines of the poem speak of a proud king who thought his empire would stand forever. And yet all that remains is a broken statue of a long dead king. You know that anything that we cling to in this world apart from what's grounded in Christ is also gonna go and be lost and destroyed over time. But in Christ, despite all of our struggles and battles, through all of our failings, big and small, through all of our sins, Jesus has guaranteed we'll receive these blessings forever because our King lives and because he's defeated sin and death for us. Life with God forever. Life with God's people forever. No more death and disease. No more hunger. No more war. No more political parties. No more racism. No more sexism. No more fighting. That's all ours, thanks be to God. This is all ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. His promises will never fail us.